Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Peter Kerr continues our series on Lessons from Life Stories, looking at the life of Rebecca. And now, here's Peter. Well, good morning. It's great to be able to have the opportunity to be with you this morning and just to share uh, in the Word of God, to share in fellowship and worship and encouragement. Uh, it's, it's a privilege to be able to, to, to gather, isn't it? So many months we weren't even allowed to do that. So it's great to be back together. I do apologize in advance. My voice is a little wonky. I, I don't have a cold. I'm not sick. It's just part of the throat issues that I have from time to time. So I hope that uh, the sound comes across okay here. I'm sure if, the, if things are not coming across, the guys in the sound booth will give me an indication. Ted's given me a thumbs up, so it's, it's good, good to go. Uh, thank you for praying for us and our family as we serve the Lord in full-time work here in Northern Ontario and also with the Emmaus Correspondence Centre. Um, the centre has been officially closed to the public during this pandemic, uh, but we have continued with our website open and people continue to email and phone. Uh, we're processing orders, sending out courses. Uh, we're receiving marking back uh, and processing those, sending them back. Um, we Things kept up pretty steady um, right through the end of July. And then August became very, very slow. And I was getting worried, wondering what was happening and praying about that and committing it to the Lord. And it seemed like as soon as September 1st hit, it just kind of took off again. And we've been very encouraged at the number of people who've contacted us. A number of people have started doing the Emmaus Diploma, which we're always excited about because that means that somebody is committing to study the Word of God methodically and consistently over an extended period of time. And so that's exciting when we see that happening. Uh, we have three or four people who are just wrapping up their diploma, and we have some that are just starting them. And so that was encouraging. In the same week, we had people coast to coast uh, across Canada who contacted us and who started doing the courses. So that's, that's really great, and we've had some very nice encouragement of people as they've shared with us how the Lord is touching them and, in, and working in their lives as a result of them getting into the Word of God. And uh, so that's that's beautiful, and we, we truly pray for this ministry and, and trust that the Lord will, will bless it to, to his glory. We had a lovely lady, um, Mabel Wagler, who was an associate instructor with us for many, many years, who just passed away a few weeks ago, 95 years old. Um, her and her husband, Harold, had uh, ministered here through the north. They were based in North Bay at one point. And then the Lord took them out west, and they planted a number of churches out west. And uh, she has continued to serve the Lord after Harold went to be with the Lord. And I've never met her face to face, but had the privilege of talking with her by phone a number of occasions. And was always really encouraged uh, just by her uh, trust in the Lord. She was so, always so upbeat, and, and it was just really terrific. Uh, but uh, she went to be with the Lord a few weeks ago. And as a result of that, uh, the family asked for donations to be made to the, the ministry of the Emmaus Correspondence Center. And we've received some very nice donations as a result of that, which is really going to help the ministry and help to sustain the ministry. So though she is no longer with us and participating as an associate instructor, her legacy certainly continues. 
and the ministry of Emmaus Correspondence Centre continues. So please continue to, to pray for us and pray for our, our, our ministry as well, our personal ministry. I'm in three places this morning here in person. Um, I'm in Listowel uh, by a pre-recorded message and in Sudbury by a pre-recorded message as well. So people say you can't be in more than place, one place at one time. Well, I have the privilege of being three places this morning. Now, the topic that was given to me for this morning was the lessons from the life of Rebecca. Lessons from the life of Rebecca. And simply put, her life story is a picture of God's providential kindness, despite human failure. Uh, there's good and bad in the story. Uh, it's a wonderful love story, the story of Rebecca and, and Isaac and, and the way that the Lord brings them together. But it's also a story of intrigue, of, of deceit, of, of manipulation. Um, it is a story of faith in God and then also a story of a lack of faith in God and taking things into one's own hands. Uh, there's mystery here. God never commands or causes sin. Never ever. Scripture is clear on that. There's no sin in God. Uh, he does not tempt anybody to sin. He himself is not tempted to sin. That's absolutely clear. And yet mysteriously, the Lord works and overrules despite sin. So when we look at the life of Rebecca and we see some moral failures on her part, we see her engaging in things that, that should not have happened. Um, nevertheless, somehow we see the plan of God unfolding. Um, and there's, there is a mystery here. Uh, it's, there's, there's no way that we can excuse it and say, hey, it doesn't matter because if I sin, God still does his thing and his plan still unfolds, so it doesn't matter. It does matter, and there are consequences. And definitely in the life of Rebecca and her children and her offspring, there were consequences, negative consequences as a result of her sin. It's not God's will for us to sin, but somehow in his broader will, uh, he, he overrules. Now, Rebecca starts well. Let's say that the beginning of the story is great, but unfortunately she doesn't finish well. Howard Hendricks said, there are about 3,000 people mentioned by name in the Bible. Of those 3,000, we only have enough information to evaluate the lives of about 100 of them. Of those 100, only about one-third of them finished well. Of those who failed, most failed in the last half of their lives. So I think that's, that's very sobering and very instructive to us. And so it's a caution to us. Uh, the scripture indicates we always have to watch and pray. We can never let down our guard. We can never feel, I've grown enough in my Christian life that now I can coast. Never, ever. We always have to be seeking the Lord, walking with the Lord, trusting the Lord, keeping our eyes on the Lord, and not letting down our guard. Because we have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if we're not on guard, he will devour us. And he will tie us up in knots and ruin our testimony, tarnish our, our witness for the Lord. And so we have to be very, very careful. We want to remain faithful to the end. Um, and so let's, let's go to Genesis 24 to have a look at a few things here in, in the life of Rebecca. Uh, Genesis 24 is kind of where the story really begins for us. 
Uh, we read that Abraham was very old. The Lord had blessed him in every way. And so he calls the senior servant in his house, his most trusted servant, probably Eleazar, even though he's not named here. And he told, tells him that he must go uh, and find a wife for Abraham's son Isaac. Verse 3, he says, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living. Uh, the people that he was living amongst were not believers. And so the idea is I don't want my son to marry somebody who is not following the Lord. So that was key for him. But he says, I want you to go back to my own home country, to, to my own relatives, and take a wife from uh, among my own relatives. It maybe sounds a bit strange to us in our culture and time, but in that, that day, uh, that was a very important thing, that you married within the, the wider circle of your family. Not recommended uh, and, and even not even allowed by our government in terms of close family relatives because of the problem of diluting the gene pool and, and all of the health issues that sometimes occur from that. But we keep it in the perspective that, that we read it in here of that day and time. Uh, the servant is uh, concerned. He says in verse 5, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? So he's, he's a bit concerned and he's clarifying. So what if I go there and I find the right person, but she doesn't want to come back? So can I take Isaac then and go back with him and find him a wife? And Abraham says, no. He says, verse 6, make sure you do not take my son back there. God had called Abraham out of Mesopotamia and he had called him to go to a new land, a new place, a new situation. And he'd given him promises. And Abraham doesn't want Isaac to go back and be tempted uh, by reverting to, again, a land where they did not know the Lord or followed the Lord. Uh, and so the, the servant of Abraham is sent back. And as, as far as I can uh, determine, it was about a 450-mile journey. Um, so, of course, he would have gone with his, his camels. Uh, loaded up, they would have spent, some of the, the journey would have been uh, walking as well. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's quite a distance. Uh, they didn't have the luxury of jumping in a, a car and going 100 kilometers an hour down the road. Um, it took a lot more time and effort and planning to do that. So the servant goes down to the land of Mesopotamia, and we learn that Abraham had a brother, Nahor, who had a son, Bethuel, and Bethuel had a daughter by the name of Rebekah. And Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And these are the key players that we see in, this, in the story here. So we'll jump to verses 11 and 12. Once he arrives, it says, He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. Uh, again, got to keep the cultural situation here in perspective, right? Um, the woman had the, the job of hard work of going all the way out of town, going to the town's well and drawing water and physically carrying big jars of water back into town. It just again sounds so weird and strange to our ears. But again, we, we just we let it stand in its cultural perspective there. Verse 12, the servant prays. He says, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. Show kindness to my master Abraham. 
I think what's significant here is the servant is invoking the language of covenant. Because God had entered into a covenant with Abraham which was based on chesed, the Hebrew word chesed, the loving kindness of God. It's the idea of God's gracious giving, not on the basis of, of what you deserve, but on the basis of God's goodness and character. And so the covenant that God made with, with Abraham, which is passed on to Isaac and Jacob and, and down through the, the, the promised line, is, is on chesed. And that's what the servant prays. He says, uh, show kindness, show chesed to my master Abraham. Look, he's not asking for a favor for himself. But he wants to be a faithful servant. Right? So that's what he's asking for. And it's on the basis of what God has already promised. And that's a neat way to pray, isn't it? It's not simply what I feel. It's not simply what, what my gut tells me. But it's on the basis of God's word. What God has, has said. What God has spoken. And, you know, if you take the New Testament and as you're reading through, uh, write down verses and passages of scripture that you can use in your own prayer life. It will really enrich your prayer life. And there's some great examples even in, in the New Testament. Things that the Apostle Paul, for example, prayed for other believers. That we can pray for our family, for our church, for, for one another. So he prays according to the covenant love of God. He says, I'm, see I'm standing beside the spring, the daughters of the townspeople coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown chesed, kindness to my master. So he, he asks for a sign. Something that will confirm to him that God is at work in this. Of course, as the story unfolds, what we see is the Lord has pre-prepared this. The Lord has been working long before the servant ever arrived on, on the scene. So we're introduced then to, to Rebecca. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out. I think that's neat. You know, sometimes we pray and there's a delay. God doesn't answer immediately and we have to be patient. In this particular case, before he finished praying, Rebecca came out. The answer was right there. Right? And that's an encouragement to us. And the Lord gives us some of those. Of course, we see many examples in the scripture where God gave a promise. He delayed the, the, the fulfillment of that promise. People became impatient and they tried to fulfill it under their own terms. Abraham and Sarah did that. Right? They had been promised a son, no son. Okay, let's fix this. So you take Hagar and I'll have a son by her. And we know that the effects of that had been disastrous. And we see later on in Rebecca's life that she is not patient. She doesn't wait for the Lord to fulfill his promise. She jumps ahead. And as a result of that, she causes a lot of, of issues. But in this case, the, prayer, the answer to prayer was, was immediate. So Rebecca came out and she has a water jar on her shoulder. And we're told that she's the daughter of Bethuel, uh, the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. Now, verse 16 tells us a description and says the woman was very beautiful, a woman, no, a virgin, no man had ever slept with her. So it tells us something about her character. Uh, it tells her that, that this was a, a woman of integrity. Um, the, the woman that Isaac was to marry mattered greatly to God. God had somebody that he had chosen for Isaac. 
I, I think, you know, for young people facing the future and facing the question of who will I marry, I think we need to be careful to, to pray for that person. Um, I think we need to instruct our children and grandchildren, pray for the person that God will have you to marry. Don't just choose yourself. Don't just let it be superficial. Don't let it just be in your own timing. Seek the Lord, wait for the Lord, and trust that God will bring the right person because the right person is the best person for you. Right? I think that's, that's an important lesson. Now we see something amazing. He asks her, please give me a little water from your jar. Apparently the Hebrew word there means a sip. Just let me, just a tiny little sip from your jar. So he's not asking for, for very much. However, she doesn't know who this guy is. I mean, this stranger comes up to her and says, uh, give me some of your water. Like, who is this guy? You know, is he some creep? Uh, she doesn't know what, who this guy is. Um, but she, she shows great kindness. She lets down, she's got to take it off her shoulder, right? got to put it down. She says, sure, have a drink. And as he's having a drink, she notices all the animals. And so she's very thoughtful, right? She's thinking ahead here. She's thinking, this guy doesn't have a jar. He, he doesn't have a, a bucket to get water. He's, hung, he's thirsty. I bet his camels are thirsty too. So she responds to help him, even though he's a stranger. In fact, the scripture says she does so quickly, right? A ready heart to serve. This is a beautiful attitude. She doesn't ask a lot of questions. She meets the need and she says, I will give water to your camels as well. So she's willing to serve. She's willing to work hard. She's willing to go beyond the call of duty as it were here. Again, application to us, right? That's the way we should be. Ready to serve, ready to give, ready to care for other people. Sometimes I find, you know, one can become jaded in life. You've been burnt a few times. You've been taken advantage of. Then when somebody asks for help, I find I want to ask too many questions. I want to really find out, are they going to appreciate this? Are they going to abuse my kindness? But I think maybe we should have a generous heart to give as unto the Lord without strings attached. right? And just to be ready to give and then leave it with the Lord. You know, If, if, if you're kind to somebody and, and they abuse that, that doesn't matter. They will answer to the Lord for that. But you've responded out of a full and generous heart. And I think that's more important. I think that's the attitude that she exemplifies here. By the way, it says that he had ten camels. Again, I did a little bit of research and I discovered that when a camel is thirsty, one camel can drink up to 50 gallons of water. Even if it's not that thirsty, generally a camel will drink at least... 30 gallons of water to replenish itself. That's a lot of gallons of water that she had to, from her one jar. So she had to go back and forth to the well and to the trough and to the well and to the trough. And it says that she kept bringing water until they'd all finished drinking. Wow. I mean, she was not afraid of hard work, right? So again, just a beautiful attitude here. Good work ethic, a kind heart, a willing servant attitude. This is a great example for us to follow. Now we read in verse 22 that when the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold 
nose ring weighing a becker and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Can we understand in that day and culture, this was something very, very prized. This was something very, very valuable. And so he's watching this and he's going, hmm, okay, this is the answer to my master's prayer and to my prayer. This is the girl, right? She exactly fulfilled the conditions that had been laid out. And so he gives her these gifts kind of as, as, a, as a token of, of his recognition that God is at work here. Um, he then asks who she is and if it's possible for him and his group to lodge in her father's household. And she responds immediately. She knows that her family has a willingness to, to exercise hospitality and she knows they have the ability to exercise that hospitality. They have room and they have the resources and that they obviously were people who shared freely uh, with, with even strangers. So she doesn't hesitate. She says, yes, you come to our place, we'll take care of you. And again, interesting, it says that she runs, verse 28, she runs to tell her mother's household about these things. Very, very keen to serve and to, and to help. Verse 26 and 27 are a beautiful acknowledgement of the goodness and the providence of God. It says, The man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. Again, there's the chesed. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relative. You know, a great point of application there. It's very important to acknowledge answers to prayer wonder how many times we have cried out to the Lord, the Lord has answered, and we've just gone on our merry way. We haven't stopped to say thank you, Lord. Uh, we need to, to give thanks in all things, and we need to especially be thankful when the Lord has answered prayer. He acknowledged the answer to prayer publicly. I mean, he bowed right down there for, for anybody to see, and, and he thanked the Lord. And I think... There are times that, you know, maybe there's somebody that you're struggling to witness to, maybe a family member or neighbor or whatever, and it's tough and you just can't get through and sometimes the words don't come. But it's amazing, just in conversation, without directing it at them, you simply tell them of the goodness of the Lord. You just happen to share how God is answering prayer in your life. And that's powerful. I mean, there's nothing to argue about because you've just shared a testimony of what God has been doing. But boy, that registers, right? Because it tells them your faith is real, God is real, God is alive, God is answering prayer, He's working in your life. I mean, that's, that is very powerful. And so this is such a neat uh, illustration, such a neat example here to me. So that's a, that's a great point of, of application to us. The second point of application I see in his prayer is this. He says, as for me, the Lord has led me on my journey. Some translations say, as for me being on the way, the Lord led me. Now, it's very hard to steer a parked car. Ever tried to do that? You're not supposed to even do You're not supposed to crank the wheel when it's stationary. But when the car is moving, then it can be steered. If we want to be steered and guided by the Lord, we need to be on our way. We need to be walking with the Lord. If we're just static and stationary, if we're apathetic, if we're just sitting back and just kind of, oh, well, God, you just lead me and I don't hear anything, I don't see anything. If we're just a parked car. Don't be surprised that God is not leading you. 
We need to get up. We need to engage the Lord. We need to, to read His Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be serving the Lord. We need to be fellowshipping with God's people. And he says, as I was on my journey, the Lord led me. And I think that's, again, a very important principle. Okay, we pick the story up again there in verse 29. Uh, we read about Laban. It says, he runs out to meet the man at the spring. He warmly welcomes him. They, they take care of all the animals. They prepare a meal. And uh, so, go ahead, you know, eat. And I said, no, actually, I, I can't even eat until I tell you what my mission is. They said, okay, speak on, tell us. So he explains, verses 34 through 39, explains why he's there and how the Lord has led him to meet Rebecca. Now, verse 50 is interesting because after they listen to everything that's said, Laban, that's Rebecca's brother, and Bethuel, her father, say, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. In other words, what they're saying is we can't add or subtract anything to that. I mean, this is so clear. This is the hand of God. Yeah, what can I say? We've we, we got to go along with this. We have to obey what the Lord is doing. Now, obviously, it comes out of the blue. This is something fairly unique. All of a sudden, they're being told that, you know, Rebecca is God's choice to leave and go and marry Isaac. I mean, this is a big deal, right? She's got to leave home, leave her family. Um, but God's hand is in it. And that makes all the difference. Sometimes the Lord does call us to do unusual things, sometimes hard things, sometimes things that to us don't make all that much sense. You can't quite, you know, cross every T and, and dot every I on this. It's like, but if God is in it, then we need to obey. And so they respond, verse 51, here is Rebecca, take her and go. Let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. Again, to our ears, strange. I said, well, did anybody ask Rebecca? <laughs> yeah, the brother and the father are deciding for her. Again, you said it in the day, in the culture, right? Arranged marriages were very normal in that day and time. And they still are today in many places in the world. I personally know a, a number of people, friends who have come from other countries and other cultures who have had arranged marriages, wonderful marriages. Uh, and God was in it, right? Uh, many ar arranged marriages don't work out well. Many marriages where people apparently choose each other don't work out well, right? Because human beings are human beings. I think what we see later on in the story, which is significant, is that when Isaac saw Rebecca and Rebecca saw Isaac, they choose to love. Because love's not a feeling. Sometimes we speak about love as if it's kind of a hole in the ground. Oh, I fell in love. Didn't see it coming, just walking along, boom, fell in love. Oh, that's great, fell in love. Right. Well, what happens when you get all dirty in the mud and you want to crawl out that hole? That means you're not in love anymore. Right. See, love's not a feeling. It's not a passing fad. Love's a choice. God cho chose to love us. He didn't look at us and have all gooey feelings. Oh, I just love those people. No, because he looked at us. What are we, sinners, ungodly, rebellious, right? And yet, how could he love us? Well, he chose to love us because it's based on his amazing, amazing grace and goodness. How beautiful his love is for us. And we can choose to love one another. We can choose to not allow bitterness to take root. We can choose to forgive each other. Right? We can choose to let love cover a multitude of wrongs and of sins. Love is a choice. 
And whatever situation you're in, whether it be a family situation between parents and children, cousins or uncles or aunts, or whether it be a marriage situation between a husband and wife, you can choose to love with the help of God. Romans 5 talks about the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If you don't have love for somebody that you ought to be loving, ask the Holy Spirit to pour his love into your heart and direct it to that person. Beautiful picture that's given here. The next morning after all of this has happened, the servant packs up and he's ready to leave and take Rebecca. And the family maybe have second thoughts and they say, well, leave Rebecca with us here for 10 days and then we'll send her. And uh, the servant says, no, that's not the way it's going to be. You acknowledge this was the hand of God. We need to go. So again, you know, unique situation. Now they ask Rebecca. So Rebecca, what do you think? And she shows tremendous courage and faith. She says, I will go. She doesn't know where she's going. She doesn't know who she's going to marry. She's never met this dude. Who is he? What's he like? But she's trusting the Lord here. Many details that haven't been revealed to her. But she senses the Lord leading her. Again, a great example to follow, right? And so they bless her and they send her on on her way. And we read uh, verses 61 onwards that they go on the trip. They eventually come to the place where where Isaac is and uh, he sees camels coming. Uh, She sees a man in the distance. And verse 64, she sees him and she just seems to know who he is. It's even before she's asked who he is, she figures that's him. And it tells us that she sprang from her camel. The word, the Hebrew word doesn't mean she just got down. She got off in a hurry. Okay? She sprang. She said, that's my man. <laughs> right? And she was ready to meet this man. So she sprang from the camel. And then she just double checks. Oh, what if that's not the guy? Who is that? They said, that's Isaac. Okay. So she grabs a veil and she wraps herself in the veil, which was an appropriate thing to do as a bride about to meet her bridegroom. The servant explains everything to Isaac, and it says that Isaac takes Rebekah into Sarah's tent. Again, there's a cultural reference there, and that she becomes his wife. Um, This is about 10 years after Isaac's mother had died, and it says that now he was comforted. He'd been grieving for his mother for 10 years. Interesting, eh? Now the Lord brings Rebekah into his life, and he is comforted. You know, the Lord gives marriage for our comfort for our blessing, for our joy and happiness. Think about that. Are you a joy to your spouse? Ouch. <laughs> right? We ought to be a joy to our spouse. Your husband or your wife should smile when they think of you. If they don't, you've got some work to do. You've got some praying to do. Pray, Lord, make me a comfort and a joy to my spouse. Give us a relationship that is, that is one of, of, of deep uh, appreciation for each other. To love and appreciate. I mean, it's supposed to be a beautiful thing. So sad when marriage is a horrible thing. Because it's not the way that God designed it, right? So he's comforted and he takes Rebecca to be his, his wife. Uh, interesting to think what it was like for Rebecca during this whole process. To, to leave family and home. To leave behind so much. And yet she trusted the Lord that what he had for her was better than what she was leaving behind. Again, it says that Isaac loved 
Rebecca. He loved her. Right? He committed himself to her. Love always involves faithfulness and commitment. Love involves faithfulness and commitment. That's why the New Testament says love never ends. If you say, oh, I used to love that person, you never loved them. Because love involves faithfulness and commitment. Right? And so important that we pray and ask the Lord to give us that depth of agape love. They start out well. They actually have probably 20 years of, of really good marriage. Uh, Rebecca is, is uh, barren during the time she doesn't have any children. Uh, when she does become pregnant after Isaac has prayed for her, it's a difficult pregnancy. And this is the start of some issues in their life. The marriage was great at the beginning, wasn't so great at the end. Um, one of the major contentions between them was favoritism over the children. Got to watch that, right? Got to watch that. When husband and wife come together, they are to be as one. If you have favoritism over the children, you're not one. You're operating as two individuals, right? There's got to be a unity. There's got to be a harmony and a togetherness. And that comes about as you both submit to the Lord, as you pray and commit specifically those things, or as you work them through and allow God to, to soften and change your hearts. And... Um, to, to keep a good marriage takes work. It really does. Right? It has to be intentional. We need to take care of our marriages, not just at the beginning, at the honeymoon, when everything is you know, peaches and cream and roses. We need to take care of our marriages when the finances fall apart and we lose jobs and we get sick and there's trouble and stresses and the world is collapsing around about us. We need to take care of our marriages. Right? Very, very important. So, we, we read that uh, in, in the scriptures here in, in uh, Genesis chapter 27 that um, <clears throat> the trouble brews, and I'm going to just shorten this up for time. Uh, Rebecca has two children in her womb. They're struggling. They're, they're literally in conflict with, with each other. And she goes to the Lord and she asks what's, what's going on. She fears that something is not right. The Lord explains to her that two nations are in her womb. And that the, the, these two babies will become two peoples, two nations. And the older is going to serve the younger. There's going to be a reversal of the, the normal natural order here. And uh, the descendants of the older are going to serve the younger. When the first baby is born, she calls him Esau, which means hairy. Not Harry, but hairy. <laughs> right? Because he, he has hair all, all over his body. The second baby is delivered holding on to Esau's heel. So she names him Jacob, which means supplanter. Jacob doesn't actually mean deceiver, by the way. It more means one who kind of knocks somebody out of their rightful place, who supplants them. Names are important. Somebody suggested that Rebecca kind of was a bit superficial in the way she named her kids, just by appearances. Oh, well, he's hairy and he was grasping his heel, so there we've got names. Um, and she didn't necessarily ask the Lord about that, and she didn't give them spiritually significant names at all. Names are important, and we have to be careful what we name our children. Raising children is, is, a, is an awesome responsibility, isn't it? And there's got to be a spiritual component and dimension 
uh, to every day of, of our lives. Now, when the boys grew up, Esau is a skillful hunter. Jacob's near the tent. So Esau is a tough guy. Uh, Jacob is kind of a soft guy. Now, Isaac loves Esau because he's the rugged hunter and he-man and all the rest. And Rebecca really likes Jacob. He seems to be, you know, around the, the house and helping her. And, and so this, this contention, this division comes amongst them. And, and playing favorites amongst our children is not right. It's not good. It's not good for them. It's not good for the marriage. It's, it's not good for, for anybody. And that's evident in scripture and everyday life, isn't it? However, even this favoritism is somehow in the mystery of God plays into the fulfilling of prophecy. Okay? Um, God doesn't cause it, but somehow he, he overrules this. In, in, verse, in, in, sorry, in Genesis 25, verses 29 through 34, so 25, 20, 29, uh, we see that Esau sells his birthright. Um, he doesn't really think much of it. He despises it, and he treats it with contempt. It's not, not worth anything. Sells it for a little bowl of stew. Why did he do that? Like a birthright is something very important. It was the honor given to the firstborn son in a family. The birthright conferred upon that firstborn son the right to be the head of the household. So if the father became incapacitated or the father died, the firstborn son was given the responsibility of being the head honcho. He made the decisions. He, He called the shots. He was the head of the household. And he had the right to inherit a double portion of the estate. So he got more than anybody else uh, when it came time for the inheritance. Esau had that birthright, but he didn't seem to value it. Why not? Had his mom perhaps been telling the boys, Jacob, you're going to be the special one. God said, you're going to be greater. Esau, you're going to be, you're going to have to serve Jacob and your descendants will too. Like, had, had she passed that on? I don't know. But there seems to be some reason, something that has caused him to, to regard his birthright as useless. Anyway, he despises his birthright, thereby despising his parents and his heritage. And uh, he sells his birthright to, to Jacob. We fast forward to Genesis 27 and we see that Isaac is old, his eyes are are dim, he can't see, and he thinks he's going to die. So he calls Esau and he says, "Um, I'm not sure when I'm going to die, so I want you to go hunting and I want you to hunt some wild game and then make me that special kind of of tasty uh, game that you you usually make for me and bring it to me, I'm going to eat it, and then I'm going to give you the blessing before I die. Interesting, Isaac knew that in God's plan, the order between Jacob and Esau had been reversed. But he still wanted to give the blessing to Esau. So Isaac was being disobedient. right? But he liked Esau. Isn't that funny how our our wants, our desires can get in the way? Even you kind of know what God's will is, but you really want this in any case. I've been there many times in my life. I know what God has said, but I want this. And so you find a way to justify it. You argue it. You look for loopholes. You duck and dive. You explain it away because you want what you want. That's what Esau wanted. Rebecca overhears what's happening. She says, oh, but God said that, that Jacob was going to be the, the top dog here. And, and now he's going to give the, the, the blessing here to Esau. I guess God needs some help. 
wonder what would have happened if she had just gone to pray and saying, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but this is the situation. God would have intervened in some other way to prevent Jacob, Esau, from receiving the blessing. But she meddles, right, because she thinks God, God needs some help. How does she do it? Well, she calls Jacob in and she hatches this elaborate scheme. And the scheme is filled with lying and deceiving and manipulating and cheating. What a great example that she passed on to Jacob. Not, right, not. She's not passing on a godly heritage here at all. And this is, this is very, very sad. Um, she, it's interesting that, you know, the Lord didn't cause this, but the Lord somehow uses this. Uh, and, and she has a very thorough plan. She's thought of everything and covering up his skin so that he appears hairy. And she dresses him in Esau's clothes and all the rest while Esau is out hunting. And so they fool Isaac. Isn't that great? We fooled Isaac. You don't fool God. You may think you've got away with something. You haven't. Because the Lord God of heaven and earth sees and hears everything. Right? God is not mocked. What we sow, we will reap. Be sure your sin will find you out. I'm just going to cut it short for time here. Esau comes in afterwards, realizes what's happened. He's furious. And he hatches a plan. He says, okay, after all this is settled and my dad is dead and gone, I'm going to kill my brother. I'm going to get even. You see how this whole thing multiplies here? It gets worse and worse. Rebecca's not finished with her lying. She says to Jacob, oh, your brother's upset. I'm going to send you away back to my brother Laban for just a few days. And then this whole thing will blow over and you can come back. She's lying. She knows. When she sends him away, he better not ever come back because Esau's going to wreak his vengeance. Then she goes in to Isaac and she lies again and she says, oh, you know, uh, Esau's Hittite wives that, that he's taken, uh, they, they really irritate me and, and I don't want Jacob to take one of those. So, so I'm going to send him back to, to Laban that at least he can find a wife there. Lie upon lie upon lie upon lie. Isn't that the way it always happens? Once we begin to deceive, once we begin to fib and bend the truth, it gets out of control, right? And so we see this in her life. Here's a couple of interesting things. After all of this, you never hear about Rebecca again. Her death is not even recorded in Scripture. Interesting. So many of the other uh, saints of the Old Testament, their death is important. And where they are buried, and with hope, no mention of Rebecca. Do you realize that in the New Testament, Rebecca is never mentioned? She's not mentioned. It's like her, her name, her legacy just disappears. Uh, she short circuits what could have been a life that was very valuable to the Lord, ongoing service, short circuited. And she just disappears from the pages of history. What a sad end. Do you want to end like that? I don't want to end like that. I want to end faithfully to the Lord. And so we have to guard our hearts. Some great examples and lessons from the early life of Rebecca some things to avoid from the end of her life. If she only had trusted the Lord, waited, been patient, God would have beautifully worked out his plans. He wouldn't have missed carrying out his plans. I think of Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with half of your heart. No. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And, you know, just, it's okay to, you know, just go with your own feelings occasionally. No. 
Lean not on your own understanding. Right? Acknowledge him in some of your ways. No. Acknowledge him in all of your ways. And he will direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of your ways and he will direct your paths. Father, we thank you for reminders and lessons from the life of Rebecca. Father, we thank you for the positive and the negative, which are cautions and warnings to us. Father, we pray that we might be like Rebecca was in her early life, a willing servant, uh, integrity, um, helpful, uh, willing to give, willing to spring into action, uh, to, to freely be at, at your beck and call for your service, to be thinking about others first before herself. Lord, help us to follow those, those examples and help us to avoid the later negative examples in her life of not trusting you, not waiting, uh, and, and taking things into her own hands and manipulating the situation. And Lord, we don't stand in judgment because we know that we are human beings who are very weak and we need your grace every day so that we don't fall into the same traps. So, Father, thank you for these reminders and these lessons, and we pray that we would remember them, not just in our heads, but we pray that they would touch our hearts and our spirits, and we pray that we would act in obedience and trust as we look to you, as we, as we wait upon you. Father, lead us in your grace, in your chesed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.